This podcast is a part of the Carbon Almanac Network of Podcasts. Hi, I'm Christina. I'm from Prague. Hi, I'm Jen, and I'm from Canada. Hi, I'm Ola Banji, and I'm from Nigeria. Hello, I'm Liki, and I live in Paris. Hi, I'm Brian, and I'm from New York. Welcome to Carbon Sessions, a podcast with carbon conversations for every day with everyone from everywhere in the world. In our conversations, we share ideas, perspectives, questions, and things we can actually do to make a difference. So don't be shy and join our Carbon Sessions because it's not too late. Hi, I'm Jen, and I have just come in from being out in the garden. I have been collecting red currants, raspberries, strawberries, and huckleberries, and I was a little bit frustrated because there is some large creature that that has been rolling around in one of my garden beds and has ruined my little cantaloupe seedlings so that I was trying to start. So um, I'm here. I'm really happy to be here. And I'm a little bit miffed about that. <laughs> well, I love cantaloupe, so I'm miffed too. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ola Banji, and I just got back from the gym right before this call. <laughs> I'm not angry about anything. I mean, it's been a pretty simple day. <laughs> but I'm excited to see you all today, especially Jen. And yeah, it's been a while, so. Yeah. Let's get to it. <laughs> Hi, I'm Christina. I am looking at this wonderful uh, woodsy landscape. So I'm really relaxed and happy. And I'm looking forward to our conversation uh, because in last week I have been focusing on regenerative design uh, mm. writing. So looking forward to today. That's great. Uh, and hi, I'm Brian, and I'm coming to today's call with uh, a thing I'd share. I, I live in New York, and it's we have you know pretty strong seasonality here, where when it is very pleasant and nice outside, because we've got such cold and wintry months, um, it's just a joy to be outside, and, and we're almost at that peak, really long part of the day, and so... My days are starting even earlier than usual, and I'm going outside. We have a new puppy, and uh, the new puppy has not been helping me, <laughs> but has been there with me while I have been pulling <laughs> and sort of expanding and pulling a lot of mugwort, which is sort of an, uh, a, a very invasive kind of uh, species here where I live. And But it's just been so lovely each morning to go spend a, a slug of time out you know, before the sun comes up even though I'm just weeding, it's, I just love being outside. And it's, it's that time of year in New York where it's, it's really wonderful to be outside. So I'm in a good space. I didn't work out, but I pulled a lot of mugwort. So, so maybe a little bit of a workout. I pulled a lot. <laughs> okay. Well today, I think we're going to sort of talk through a conversation that we, um, that we, had almost sort of by accident last week, but but couldn't. We had some difficulties with our technology, and it didn't get fully recorded. Um, but this week, we're going to dive back into it again and, and keep the conversation going for our listeners. Um, we were discussing a few things, and and it led to me discussing, you know, the sort of 
decision about doing some larger planting uh, on the family farm I grew up on around doing, you know, some larger tree planting in part as a, a even more efficient means of carbon sequestration than the sort of like the low growth blackberry bramble sort of uh, what's happening on this part of our acreage now. Um, and, and that sort of just, so that's where we'll start again. Um, and we were, we got into a, a really great conversation. So I guess I'll, I'll start us there and say, you know, like, that's a thing that, that my brother and mother and I are currently sort of looking at and thinking about is, do we, you know, sort of, uh, go through this process and sort of invest in going and in, in doing a larger timber plantation on another portion of our property? Um, and, you know, Christina, I may turn it over to you because you had some interesting insights on sort of, you know, carbon and versus different types of like grasses and other kinds of things that can do carbon sequestration. Yeah, we, uh, I heard about comparison of trees and grasses, how much carbon they sequest. Uh, and I did not find the table, but I'm sure somewhere in the ether is there is some table what's the best thing per acreage if I want to focus only on carbon sequestering? And um, after we talked, I, I, sh I just was thinking because of the regeneration uh, focus for me, I have been thinking, is that, is the tree it? Or is the prairie it? And um, from the past, I thought, well, what originally was done, it was done by something like permaculture does, creating spaces for people, setting up food forest and letting go and, and not needing too many people and too much work to keep up with uh, with the food forest compared to just a regular tree for lumber. Um, so I guess my main idea was maybe it's too narrow to look at just one thing mm -hmm. and spread it into how, if I have a land, how can I not only plant things, but also maybe create community that would benefit from it and uh, some kind of connection maybe to the world through internet by monitoring. So doing the multi-layer uh, approach. So that, mm -hmm. the, those were my thoughts. Oh, and also this might be interesting for listeners. We talked about problem when you do seedlings, how to keep them without being destroyed and eaten up. That's and right. So I <laughs> I called my friend and I said, what do they paint? Because in Czech Republic, they paint this white paint on top of the new seedlings, right at the tip. And so I called my friend who's ecologist her, and she said, well, it's paint doesn't matter medium, that white paint that something it wouldn't hurt the nature some ecological paint but what they do they add sand with high silica sand into the paint and so that sand is the one which is uh, too greedy for uh, your teeth 
it could, yeah, yeah. So oh that's that's the trick. That's so that's trick. okay. So for listeners, so last week. Christina shared these great insights and did send me on a couple different research missions. I, I and I have some things to share from from one of those on grasslands versus trees for carbon sequestration. I'm excited to go back to that. The other one was Christina shared because we were discussing that when you do a lot of young sapling planting, you tend to protect them from the sort of local herbivores. In in Oregon, where this farm is, we have plenty of local herbivores, whether they are the, the wild deer or, you know, part of our large uh, herd of cashmere goats that often will get out of our actual managed pasture and into wherever we would have planted the trees. And, and Christina mentioned this painting of tree tips. And I grew up, I've worked at a timber company. I've grown up around tree planters and you just always put these like plastic sleeves around them. I've never heard of this ends of the, the shoot painting. I've never heard of that before, but the sand in the paint sort of makes sense because it'd be so unpleasant to bite and chew. It's like, it's like a household hint for tree plant horticult horticulturalists. How can I ask how, like, how does the, how does the plant then breathe? Like where, where is this paint like on, on leaves or mm -hmm. on the, the I think you said it was just on the, the on the tips the of the or... on the you sort of take and just dab it in the paint before you plant it. So some parts of it won't go through the you know uh, they won't receive light and chlor you know the whole chloroform reaction won't happen, um, mm. but the rest of it well the rest of the seedling well so not the because correct me Christina it's not you weren't saying it's the whole no no seedling. No, just a little bit. Just the tip. And also, I only saw it on um, evergreens. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, and wow. So at the tip, there is the highest tip. And then usually there are two tiny side mm -hmm. branches. So just on the tips of those three, the rest of the seedling is green. But those are always like the tender part of it. So it's also what the animal's going for. But then they get this unpleasant experience of sand in their teeth, which having had sand in my teeth, uh, it is not, you know, it, that's no, that's no fun. I would stop eating whatever I'm eating if it had sand in it. Uh, Christina, I, I love this. I can't wait. I'm actually, I can't wait to talk to some of the foresters that I know their friends in Oregon and ask them if they've ever heard of this. I don't, I've never heard of this before. And so I was like, and I was searching the internet and couldn't find it very easily. I was like, maybe it was my searching quality. I'm really excited to go explore this more because it might be that you've just started a little idea, like a little meme that like goes and moves through other foresters, growing a whole bunch of evergreens on the whole West coast of the U S you know, like maybe this will be a new thing to avoid all these plastic sleeves that people put around, you know, young seedlings. And it's, they're, yeah, that's amazing. Brian, what kind of trees are you planting? We we grow uh, dug fir. And we, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of variety in there as well. Maple and ponderosa pine and a handful of other, but principally speaking, dug fir. Um, used in your classic construction lumber kind of stuff. When we're finished recording, I'll walk you over to my window. Oh, yeah? Because I have some that are... Very, very big? Very, very big. That's um, that's wonderful. Well, uh, so I'm going to go back to that other thing, Christina, that you were speaking about that last week you shared with me about 
because we were part of how we got into this discussion was I had had to take a flight for work. And I was sort of feeling some some guilt over just having to take a flight and needing to travel and the carbon impact and this sort of talking about this carbon, you know, okay, well, at least maybe this, I need to go do some more carbon sequestration, right? Uh, plant some trees in the way that I can. And Christina had this interesting comment about grasslands and carbon sequestration vis-a-vis forests. And I found this, this great article covering a big longitudinal study done by UC Davis, a university out on the West Coast of the United States. And to sum it up for our listeners here, without going into all the nitty gritty, what I found in my sort of uh, sort of read through a number of things was that uh, in grass, in larger grasslands or grass fields, the carbon sequestration is principally being done down below the soil level, right? It's down in the root structures of, of these grasslands versus as we look at a forest, the carbon sequestration is being done a small part below ground, but principally above ground in the tree itself, right? Um, the thing we see above the ground. And so if you're in an ecosystem where fires are either a natural or realistic, even if not natural part of the process, and you're going to, the fire will pass through and burn what is above ground, right? Then you actually are, as those fires go through, you're, re- you're releasing much of that carbon back into the ecosystem as carbon dioxide, right? And so that fire takes the stuff above ground and releases a lot of carbon dioxide. Whereas interestingly, a grassland fire does release some carbon dioxide, right? That's the natural function of the, the, the grass is burning, but because so little of the carbon is sequestered in the grass itself, that when the fire goes through, not a lot of carbon dioxide is created relative to the amount of carbon that remains stored in the root systems below earth level. And so this main difference in sort of um, benefit from a, from a long-term carbon sequestration side of things in part breaks down into is the area that you're talking about sort of fire likely or fire not likely and like that was really interesting to me to sort of like be like oh yeah in some ecosystems this grassland methodology is net net in a in a long-term way better at carbon sequestration than even these really big trees that we grow um, and in other ecosystems, the trees can do a better job of carbon sequestration if they don't get lost to fire. So it was a really interesting uh, research project that Christina sent me down this last week. <laughs> I learned a lot. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, and it and I think part of what we were talking about last week that this led to was sort of this idea of, you know, you plant a tree and and the carbon does start being sequestered, but right, trees like they're not sequestering a lot of carbon when they're really small, right? It, it's it's a you know it's small, and then it starts to grow. And then Jen, if we looked outside your window and we saw these, re- I'm guessing you have some really maybe some very big dug fir. You're in the Pacific Northwest. That's where my family farm is as well. And like the trees get very big and very be- I mean they're wonderfully beautiful, and they really are. I mean there's a lot of carbon <laughs> in these very huge trees. Um, but we sort of had this interesting conversation um, that Olabanji was leading us in around, you know, 
when you go do something like fly on a plane or go do something and you sort of are attempting to offset it in some fashion by choosing to plant a tree or do or or do something that's creating an offset there's this interesting um and and maybe problematic is the better adjective to use disconnect between how much carbon is being sequestered today you might have started the process today in response to you just emitted this much carbon dioxide or or created the the emission of this much carbon dioxide one metric ton and you might say oh i'm going to go offset one metric ton but you're you're it got emitted today and you're starting the process of offsetting one metric ton in most of these um, programs and things like you're starting the process that over the life of the thing you've just done, maybe the next five, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, one metric ton will be sequestered. But there's this real time gap where if you do that, you know, uh, if you, if you sequester a metric ton over the next 20 years, that's very different in the ecosystem than releasing a metric ton today. Right. It's very interesting. I purchased a, I don't buy new clothing very often, and I think about it for a long time before I do, but I purchased a sustainably made B Corp, mm-hmm. um, you know, made in Canada, fair trade, etc. dress recently, and they had the option to offset the carbon, mm-hmm. pay a little bit more for a carbon offset, which I chose, um, but but you know, you think about it. It came from Toronto to Vancouver, <laughs> so <laughs> so you know, wonderful that you know all the people are working in Toronto that get make these things get paid well. Um, it's made with bamboo. It's made with regenerative, mm-hmm. you know, p- crops, etc. And you do all of that, and then it gets right. put on a plane <laughs> and sent. And it's like, oh, I don't know. Like you say, it's, um, you know, and they'll plant trees and they'll do all these things. But when, you know, when is is that enough? Is that fast yeah. enough? I mean, it's good. Is it good enough is the question. I don't know. Is that a thing? And I'm curious, Jen, so as you were going through that purchase, the company you were buying from gave you that option. Like inherent in the purchase, you yeah. had sort of two options there. It was like an upgrade almost. Yeah. And yeah, it was a few dollars more. And it said, Would you like to offset the carbon mm-hmm. from the shipping? And so they, you click a box and it gives you the dollar amount and it's mm-hmm. yes or no. Um, with this, and there's another, there's a jewelry company also that I've, I purchased one or two things from a few years ago and they use um, recycled gold mm-hmm. and silver and they, um, they're they also uh, a sustainable jewelry company. Everything is redone and they also have a carbon offset option. So I'm seeing it in some of the places um, that I, you know, the, the few places that I will mm-hmm. order something from, um, that this is becoming more of an option. So it's interesting because like you say, when, how, and how long <laughs> it feels, it feels great mm-hmm. to click that button and say, Oh yeah, I'll spend an extra mm-hmm. four bucks or whatever it is 
to, you know, do something good for the planet. But in reality, when is that happening? Yeah. How? And and what is the implication? And 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 Olabanji had asked this great question last time is does the rise of some of those options start to make consumers more comfortable with doing the thing that emits the carbon dioxide now because they're like, oh, but I am offsetting, right? And so, Jen, you started your comment there with like, I don't buy new clothing, but for very rarely, right? Like, that's that like reduced part of the three R's, right? Like, and then when you are, you're doing it in this fashion. But for many people, I think Olabandi's question and he, he, oh, he's here now. Sorry, Olabandi. I'm going to let you ask your question then. He's back. He disappeared. <laughs> he's back. He disappeared for a bit. But he went, ran to the gym again. <laughs> oh, don't mind me. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for holding up, Brian. Um, yeah, back, back to the question. It was quite... Um, we want excuses sometimes as people to do what we want to do. And so we'll look for the closest out or the easiest way to do it. So, um, and I think when we were talking about it, it was also alluding to like tree planting. Um, so if I plant trees on Ecosia, for example, does that give me the liberty to go, uh, to continue living the way I do? Or emitting carbon the way I do, um, and I think that was sort of the, the what the question was around. And um, speaking to what you were just saying, Jen, it's like um, so you buy something and and the company gives you the chance to pay uh, a little extra to offset the carbon that might have been emitted in the process of um, making or transporting that to you. Um, and so you just thoughts around that. It's like, is that okay? Um, because if we if we really consider it, I think not doing it at all is the best option, um, and only when we absolutely have to, and that's when we emit carbon. Uh, well, I, I guess uh, it's it's just for our, our listeners to answer, or consider, or consider. I'd say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, let's put that question to to each of us. You know, Christina, do you think that as these options arise, do you think some of them allow people to feel comfortable doing things? They, they're checking that box, but they, if it, but for that box that says they're going to offset the carbon dioxide, maybe they wouldn't have done the thing. The, the, the box check makes them feel more comfortable doing it. Yeah, it's a complicated question because it's not one solution will fix all. Uh, this little bit reminds me when organic uh, produce started showing up in the markets and in uh, and they got uh, problems with reality, what's organic and what's not. So they started, uh, uh, you had to get special label and that label was very expensive. So it shut down some farms. So this kind of seems like this kind of beginning of where we have good intention, and uh, when it starts making money, that means other people will take advantage of it and all those things. And so the solution for the organic farms, for as I know, was know your farmer. 
and it seems like it's a similar action what do you mean by what are you doing what is it who is uh planning the tree or creating permaculture gardens or uh what community creates mm. streets without traffic is it because it's all fits into that uh space so did i answer a question or did i go around <laughs> i said no christina i think you i think you spoke to the question very well um and i was going to turn it to jen and see if you have any thoughts on that you know i i i can speak for myself um that again it it it's the feel good you know you get that little dopamine hit when you click the button and say oh look at me i'm doing something good for the planet <laughs> but but how real is it um you know how real is that action and and how how fast is that and i haven't thought about that before because um i i think while it's good to do every little thing that we can um as Ola Banji said, there are things that would be better to just not do um, in the first place. So as we get more and more used to ordering things that are delivered to our homes from groceries, from, you know, those food, food kits are really popular here where people get the food kit delivered and you, you cook <laughs> with what's there. Um, or, or, or ordering things from, you know, the big company that you can get everything the next day. Um, it's all those trucks driving around. It's to deliver all of this stuff. And it's the carbon that is created by being online, um, that we forget about too. Right. Um, so I don't know, it, it's, it's where are we focusing our carbon energy <laughs> yeah and, and if i could add to that mm -hmm. um i know that we're also talking about the offsetting of already emitted carbon so if you go ahead and plant a tree you already emitted the carbon and that's done so you go plant a tree to offset the carbon and it's going to take a while for the tree to grow and and it's going to take a long time for that tree to sequester that exact amount of carbon that you've just um, emitted. So the time factor, uh, the time factor also plays a role because it's not the same. The, the, the carbon is not immediately sequestrated, if that English is correct. <laughs> After immediately you plant the tree, it doesn't just, it's not like a plus and minus thing. It, there's some other process and maybe there's a couple other things that could happen to the tree that you planted it might not survive someone might step on it or it might be uprooted or it's like there's a ton of things that surround a tree well and thanks to christina's hack it won't be eaten yeah <laughs> exactly exactly and so i think that's that's something else and that's why reduce like you said becomes really critical it's like uh the best way to sequester carbon is not to emit it at all. Yeah. 
I I had some time to think about this question you asked last week, Olavanji, when when we were having this conversation 1.0. And and I, I some of what I reflected on is and Jen, your your example was a great one, right? So you went to go purchase this one this one dress and it had an option to select it. But what it didn't have with it was sort of really like a grade. There wasn't sort of like an independent valuation of like how accurate is it that you're clicking and you're giving an ex- it's you're you're doing that you know sort of uh, intentional choice of giving the extra four dollars let's say it was to towards this purpose, but you don't have a little bit of like there's not I'm guessing there wasn't like sort of some accountability inside of whether that four dollars really achieved the goal of neutralizing the, the the environmental impact. But I was sort of thinking about your question, Olabanji, and saying to myself like, well. If in the beginning, what we see is we see people start saying, oh, well, let me go do it in this way, meaning like just like Jen's example, check the box, four extra dollars to go do a carbon offset. If that's how it starts in the beginning, but there isn't necessarily accountability and that doesn't necessarily truly offset the carbon in an equal way, you know, like maybe that's okay if... That's just how it starts. But then over time, we sort of keep the trend and the pattern changing in a, in a way where maybe as, you know, one company has given, has created that solution for the fashion company Jen bought her dress from. And as more fashion and other delivery companies start to use that feature in their website and consumers start to demand that, then more companies will, will start up who will go do that kind of offsetting technology and offsetting in the real world thing. And then they will be competing with each other. And as they're competing with each other, then the part of the way they compete with each other is they get people to prefer their type of offset better than someone else. And maybe the way they do that is they prove their efficacy more thoroughly. And maybe they, they create some accountability and like, and if it starts to like, as long as it keeps trending in the right direction, it feels like feels like even if maybe the first step isn't a holistic solution, maybe that's okay. As long as there's like a second step and a third step and a fourth step and a fifth step. That was how I sort of thought about it after our conversation last week was like, maybe there's like, as long as there's these other steps and, and the first steps aren't perfect and maybe they accidentally even incentivize behavior that wouldn't have happened. Maybe Jen, if you had gotten to that stage and that option wasn't there, you'd sort of thought twice when you're like, oh, this is shipping from Toronto. Hmm, maybe I'm not, maybe, maybe you would have not chosen to buy that dress as a result. But now with this option there, you're like, okay, I'll buy it. But in the long run, maybe those kind of things evolve enough. The process we get, we get the engine going enough that a new kind of ecosystem shows up to create accountability and efficacy around that. Yeah. And and part of part of why this I like this particular company. I'm I'm just looking on their website and it says for every dollar contributed carbon checkout offsets 245 245 pounds of global greenhouse gas emissions that would otherwise have been released into the atmosphere. Um and and I'm not sure if how they do that. Um, but this does talk about their not wasting 
uh, leftover scraps of garment, that the materials they use are compostable, um, that um, the things they make are made to last and are, you know, are not fashion that'll go out of style. They're sort of basic trends. And they've got all sorts of certifications as far as um, the clothing industry goes for um, sustainability. So I trust it that way. And but but it's still, you know, I wish I wish they were local or I was local, I guess. But <laughs> but I think it's a beginning, at least. Um, and 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 maybe maybe more and more companies will start to come online with more than just what feels like an extra tax <laughs> by being transparent about how they're doing things. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think it's brilliant the way you put it. Uh, and, and I think you, you're thinking about it in a really amazing way, um, Brian, because that's how culture changes. And if we talk about it enough, if they're doing it and we're talking about it, then maybe others will do it as well. And if we continue to talk about it, then perhaps everybody gets to do it. Um, and then the culture starts to just shift. It becomes, it becomes the norm. And, and then perhaps agencies and nonprofits will start to do the extra work of um, saying, hey, you're taking this amount of money to, for this course, and how is that going? Um, just, like, just like people started or companies started priding themselves in being a B Corp, and it sort of started in a similar fashion. And um, it's such a thing of pride and it's it's even an edge to be a B Corp now. And, and we, I believe that's similar to, it's similar to what's, uh, what's going to happen here as well. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think there's that sort of like, at least I wasn't aware of B Corps I don't know, five or eight years ago, like it wasn't on my radar as a, as a thing to be attentive to as a credential of a sense. Um, and Jen, just to jump back to it, I feel like at least in the show notes, we should share this dress and fashion company. Like, it sounds like it's the kind of company our listeners might appreciate knowing about. Um, well, good. Thank you for all this, uh, great conversation. I love I love learning. Yeah, it's, it was a great conversation. It's wonderful to be part yeah. of the new story. And very exciting to, to tell it as well. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Carbon Sessions, a podcast with carbon conversations for every day with everyone from everywhere in the world. We'd love you to join the Carbon Sessions so you too can share your perspectives from wherever you are. This is a great way for our community to learn from your ideas and experiences, connect, and take action. If you want to add your voice to the conversation, go to thecarbonalmanac.org slash podcasts and sign up to be part of a future episode. This podcast is also part of the Carbon Almanac Network. For more information, to sign up for the emails, to join the movement, and to order your copy of The Carbon Almanac, go to thecarbonalmanac.org. Be sure to subscribe and join us here again as together we can change the world.